You're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 104, Tony Ashton and John Lord, first of the big bands. And coming to you from the beautiful suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you from the suburbs of Providence, I'm your co-host, John Drastic Emotions, Matola. <laughs> drastic? You always manage to get something where I'm just not expecting. Like, what, what are drastic emotions? So this comes with a bit of value. <laughs> you get all, you get so, so, okay, so you get all like like <laughs> quiet. Okay, so, l- l- um, listen up. I'm using my <laughs> like sexy radio DJ voice, getting all close to the microphone. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so we we are recording this the day after Easter. Correct. And, um, I saw my. Uh, I saw my family during Easter. It was very nice. Uh, mm-hmm. It was the first time I saw them, a lot of them, uh, in one place, which was uh, great because uh, most of them are vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, so we were able to get together. And um, so I have an aunt that likes to watch all of these Netflix movies. And just she's very just into movies, TV, entertainment, everything. She's always like, oh, have you seen this? Have you, oh, you've got to see this. And she's just... Always goes on and on and on. So we're at the dinner table and she's talking to my dad and she's like throwing these things out like, oh, have you seen, uh, you know, like oh. uh, <laughs> all the different new shows <laughs> like Velvet Buzzsaw and like, uh, you know, things <laughs> like that. Um, you know, the um, yeah, all these like, um, you know, uh, erotic thrillers, the invitation. And so I'm so my dad goes. Hey, have you seen Drastic Emotions? And she's like, "Oh, that sounds good. What's that?" And he goes, "I don't know. I just made it up." <laughs> it sounded like a real movie, and she fell for it. And then it was one of those things where, like, we all started cracking up um, because, you know, it was just like she completely felt like it. You know, it was like those fake, uh, those fake Seinfeld movies. You know, like. Um, like Rochelle, Rochelle and Chunnel and you know all that kind of stuff. So we were just like, you know, so all of my cousins and everything, so we're all cracking up. So, so then I, um, my dad texts me out of the blue today. And the best thing about, the best thing about him too, is, is that he's always, he's retired. So he's always sitting, sitting around and like, if I text him, he's got it, the, the read receipts on, he's like, Every time, like within like 10 seconds, he'll just like, if I send him something, he'll <laughs> respond. So he was just sitting around today and he just like, like randomly, he texts me at a theater near you, the all new movie release, <laughs> drastic emotions. <laughs> and so I wrote, so I decided to just one up and I said, who stars in it? Yep. And he writes right back. All right. These are his fake stars. <laughs> Jerry Wad. <laughs> Mary Hapshank <laughs> and M- Mambo Magongo. Mary Hapshank. <laughs> I like that and one. I, so I'm like, 
he and then he and so I said, "Where did you come up with these names?" He goes, "Pulled out of thin air." <laughs> he just made them up. I like Hapshank, Mary and Hapshank. Then he, and then the last thing he sent, me, and then he wrote, "The emotions were never more drastic." <laughs> I'm like, that would be a great tagline. The emotions so, are never more drastic. So, <laughs> so then I proceeded to, to go on my phone and make a fake movie poster and send it to him and all of my cousins oh, sure, and my yeah. aunts that were there yesterday, which was like a silhouette of two people with drastic emotions. And the tagline, the emotions were never more drastic. <laughs> and then I added on to it, directed by Francis Ford Coppola. <laughs> Like, my dad called me up and he was he was in tears uh, uh, it's just one of those stupid family things you know it was just like it was funny and we all laughed and you know it was like it was one of those ridiculous things but it was just like brought uh brought everybody a lot of a lot of joy yeah it's it's, it's good to it, it was so, um it was beautiful here yesterday it was 75 degrees we were all sitting on yeah, the patio my in-laws came over which was mm. nice and we had like some appetizers before we had a nice brunch out on the patio with our neighbors. And That's then great. my parents, uh, my in-laws came over and uh, I'm going to send you, I'm going to text you a, a picture right now. This is my neighbor. He, um, uh, I'm not going to blow him up on the show, but he, uh, this is him coming in my back gate. Like I didn't see him. He's holding a bourbon in a glass <laughs> from his bar. So he like, <laughs> so my in-laws are like pointing at the, at the back gate and I'm like, what? And I looked, I looked at my back gate and there he is just with his arms sticking through. And I'm, I'm and I'm like, why is he being all, all like, he's just, I thought he was trying to like, um, avoid my in-laws cause they're, you know, a little skittish about COVID and everything, even though they're vaccinated. Um, so, so he was like, I was like, Hey, you know, you can come in if you want. I had the lamb on a spit out back and it's like, if you want to, if you want to come in, he's like, well, I mm-hmm. can't. And if you look down below, there's a, there's a log blocking the door. Like he couldn't, he couldn't push it open any more than that. So he was like actually kind of stuck. <laughs> so I had to, oh. it, it turns out it was his <laughs> son that had blocked the door like that. So, um, so yeah, I let him in and then we, yeah, we had oh, okay. some nice, nice, <laughs> nice couple fingers of bourbon by the fire cooking the lamb. It was a beautiful thing. So, you put mint jelly on it? No, nope. I'm not. No, the mint jelly didn't thing to me. I never really quite got. I used to do like a red pepper jelly, mm. uh, which was really nice. Like it's a little, it's a little sweet. But I'm not a big mint guy. Like in, like I like like York peppermint mm. patties or whatever. But like a mint, from to me is mostly just for like toothpaste and breath breath mints. I'm not a big mint and you know there are some exceptions but I'm not I'm not crazy about mint. No, I just uh you know I just studded it. I've mm-hmm. got this like a electric spit that rotates and I put it over my fire pit, threw some logs on there and stuffed uh you know cut a bunch of holes in it, stuffed it with rosemary and garlic, salt and pepper all over and it's beautiful. Beautiful thing. So, Oof. Before we move on to the real meat of the subject, oh, no, no pun intended, um, there are some ways you can support our show. If you want to keep the Deep Purple podcast on the virtual air, as it were, there are a few ways you can support us. One is leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Two, you can buy merch on our Etsy store. Go there. We've got T-shirts and mugs. Help yourself uh, for a fee, of course. And then the last one is you can become a patron on Patreon. Or PayPal, and for as little as $1 a month, help support the show. If you get value from the show, if you enjoy listening to it on your commute, enjoy listening to it while you're doing the chores, enjoy like uh, one of our esteemed patrons uh, does, just sit there and drink some whiskey and listen to the show and makes me jealous. I wish I was doing that. 
any way you want to consume the show, if it brings you value and joy to your day, throw us as little as a dollar a month. We'd really appreciate it. And to start off the show, as we always do, at least for the last few episodes, we're starting off with our executive level patrons at the $20 Shades of Deep Pockets tier, Ryan M. The $15 Highball Shooter tier, Alan, Ain't Too Proud to Beg. The Turn It Up to $11 tier, Frank Thielgard, Mortensen, Clay Wambacher, and Mikkel Steen. At the $10 Someone Came tier, Steve Seaborg of NameOnAnything.com and AllTheWorldsOfStage.net, Jeff Bryce, Gerald Kelly, and Victor Campos. Thank you so much to all of you for your wonderful support of the show. And extra shout out to Jerry Kelly, who's been sending me lots of cool clippings and uh, articles and anything he finds. Whenever he stumbles upon something, he sends me an email with some great articles. Really appreciate it. Always fun to uh, check those out. And then a little quick update. Uh, check out deepdivepodcastnetwork.com. Uh, there's really not much there right now, but it is a is a landing page for all these wonderful shows such as Skinnered Reconsidered, Sabbath Bloody Podcast, and Lap of the Pods, Magician's Podcast, and T-Bone Prime Cuts on the other side. So check out that. Then for our one Apple podcast review of the week coming to you this week from Great Britain. Don't be, uh, don't let the name fool you. This, this review comes from Andy USSR. Not actually from the USSR, but from Great Britain. Uh, this is another old one. Comes from December 30th, 2019. Five stars. Purple People Podcast. This is a really enjoyable podcast about the best rock band ever. Deep Purple, if you didn't know. Plus the entire Purple Family Tree. Give it a listen and you'll be entertained by the music and the banter between the two hosts. Thank you so much, Andy USSR. Appreciate it. Okay, so... We weren't going to do first of the big bands. We hadn't even talked about it. Really hadn't come up. Um, but perhaps you should walk us through kind of the genesis of why all of a sudden we decided at the 11th <laughs> hour. Well, well, about a week ago to do this episode today. <laughs> so after the Jesus Christ Superstar episode, um, you and I were texting and um, it, you know, uh, it kind of came up. So what are we going to do next week? And, you know, I sent my usual shrugging emoji (laughs) Um, because those are my ideas. Um, But anyways, and then in the middle of that, you were just like, so have you like, have you ever found those Jesus Christ superstar pictures from the, uh, from the tour back in 93 view and Paul. And so I'm like, Oh, let me go look for them. So I have the, I probably have like maybe three or four boxes of photos that I have from like around that time, like from basically when I was in high school when you had to get them developed and everything. So they're like, um, like shoe box sizes, like, uh, what do you call them? Archive boxes mm-hmm. or whatever. And they're in the, you know, the same, the photo mat, uh, you know, uh, puzzle envelopes with the, with the negatives so, and the little sleeve. Yeah. The little envelopes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, I pretty much know that they're from all like a certain period of time. So I'm like, well, it's not going to take me long to find these. So I'm flipping through, flipping through um, probably about 20 minutes. And um, I I came across a photo of me, Paul and Nate and a couple of other friends. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <which I was laughs> a couple like, other friends. <laughs> all right. This is <laughs> this is uh, this is too good to keep to myself. and. Um, so I, I snapped a, a quick pic and I sent it to him and um, 
Are you? Do you want to show it, or do you yeah. want me to tell them? What yeah, the, let, let me let me put out for those YouTube viewers, and I'll put this in the show notes for you. Um, for for the most most people who would listen to this audio, but here is a the picture that John sent me. So <laughs> it's still funny every time I look at a it. Picture of of me, Paul, Nate, uh, our friend Derek, and a horse <laughs> in my parents' backyard. Um, and just just fourth, just to be Fourth of July party. Just to be like, clear, Paul, the Paul is on the left. Yeah. I'm the next guy, um, which we'll get to what I'm doing later. The horse is next. Our good friend Derek is standing behind John, and John's on the far right well, with his armor on the horse, like he's an old friend. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is probably my family's Fourth of July party, probably around like I would say like the the mid nineties at this point, because, you know, we're all posers. Our hair's all short. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, we're up the long hair at this point. I'm going to say this was probably 97. So anyways, um, this is probably 97. Yeah. I was thinking that like 96, 97 and you know, based on, I, I, there's a couple reasons I know, but, but continue. Well, I mean, if you're, if, I mean, I would base it on like my, um, like what I was wearing or what I looked like or whatever. And I'm trying to remember it had like, um, you know, kind of, I don't know, like a, a mop top type of haircut and a goatee and I was a little, uh, little chunky. Well, this is, um, this so is, I'm guessing it was like, it was after, after college, I think. So I was like probably 22 or 23. I know that the, I, guess. um, I'd worked at a restaurant for a few years and then I had enrolled in culinary school uh, and me and the, the guy behind the horse, Derek, went to the same college, although he didn't go for culinary. Interestingly enough, because he's a very amazing cook. Um, so I, I had started going to culinary school and we're, I was obviously obviously off for the summer and I picked up a job working at a deli and you ha- the uniform was you had to wear a red polo shirt or a white polo shirt. So I bought a couple of them, the cheapest possible ones I could find. And I was likely like had to work that night. So I dressed up in the polo shirt to go to your family's barbecue and then go to work after that. Right. So anyways, um, you know, so I saw this ridiculous picture of us and a and a horse or a pony. Um, and um, upon further inspection, I like Nate is holding a record uh, in the picture, and um, and so I'm just like, so I looked really close, and it's the the Tony Ashton and John Lord album, first of the big bands, yep. and I'm like, okay, as if this picture isn't weird enough, why is Nate going around? My parents' Fourth of July party, Holy carrying God. around an Ashton Lord album, and that that must be your copy because I don't even have a copy of it. I, I not on on vinyl anyway. I don't. Right, but all right. So maybe I, I mean I'm guessing maybe you wanted to maybe I just got it and you wanted to see it and I brought it well, out. Uh, um, <laughs> why we wouldn't go into the house and look at it like normal people? I don't know. Well, when you you sent this picture to me, I honestly was like, I have no memory of any of this. Ha- the horse, the the album. Like obviously, I remember you guys, but like. I, like I was like, why? I don't. I don't remember there being a horse in your parents' backyard. I remember your dad having that that barbecue every year and going to it. And he'd play the eighteen twelve overture yeah. and all that. Like I remember doing that, but I have no memory of posing for this photo or right. why I was carrying just carrying this record around. I'm posing with the record as if like the record is one of us, like one of the the. There's like six friends here: Paul, me, the record, the horse, you, and Derek. 
like the six of us are all equally represented in this photo. And then it's like, our, this is our album. It's dropping next week. <laughs> yeah, we're, um, we're, we, we are the band. <laughs> we're the band that's releasing this album. You got to check it out. <laughs> and you're, you're just the music. Um, but, um, well, I, well, I do remember, like I had to kind of think for a little bit, but I know that at the 4th of July parties, like my dad has had them ever since I was a kid. And, um, you know, he would always set up a tent uh, in the backyard, um, you know, tables, rent tables, pull out the grill, because it was always a chance of, you know, I have a big family, Italian family. So it'd be like 40, 50, 60 people would come over, including like friends, friends of friends, spouses, whatever. So that's why we're all there, because, you know, my parents were, yeah, yeah, invite your friends over. And it's, you know, we didn't have to know anybody like they didn't have to know them very well. If they were my yep. friends, they were welcome. And if, but I mean, you guys were all yeah. We were always you know, around your house anyway. So. But but there were a couple of years where they were kicking it up a notch because they were <laughs> yeah, like so they, brought, um, they brought in livestock. Well, because you know around. The, <laughs> well, I would say like around that time there were some younger, um, like uh, second cousins and stuff. They were around that age, uh, maybe that my nieces are now, like like you know four, five, six, seven, whatever. And so they thought, well, wouldn't it, and you know, we also have an in-ground pool and they, you know, a big enough backyard where they have volleyball and everything. So one year they're just like, well, why don't we have pony rides for the kids? And I also remember um, that they had had like a kind of like a mini petting zoo. Um, You know, I think they had like, you know, a couple of rabbits or something like that. So something like a little, you know, different for the, for the younger kids. And um and I, I mean, I don't remember all the specifics. I remember it happening. I don't remember us bringing the album out or, you know, deciding to pose with the horse, although it was a brilliant move on our part, like, you know, 20 something years later. <laughs> who, who do you think took the picture? Um, Would it have been your mom or dad? Probably. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I don't know. I'm guessing. Hmm. I, I have no idea. Could it, would it could have been one of my cousins. Like, you know, yeah, yeah. Who knows? Um, I mean, I doubt that anybody back then like figured out how hilarious this photo was. Is like the four of us and a horse and a obscure <laughs> record album. Uh, That's a pretty. But uh, but yeah, so yeah, so I mean, it it makes sense in that context. But the fact that we decided that we were going to pose with the horse, um, just is like really this horse funny. and this twenty-something-year-old album better. at this point, which is now closer to closer to yeah. fifty years old. <laughs> crazy so yeah so you sent that to me and we laughed about it and then like a day or two later i I think i i said you know we should just do that album we've got this great picture we got this hilarious picture let's just do that album and i hadn't listened to it in a while anyway and we're like yeah sure why not why not why why not cover tony ashton (laughs) and john lord first of the big bands which actually i've been you know ever since we did i think the malice in wonderland episode which is early episode for us um people have asked mm-hmm. you know oh you can never do this and of course like i always say yes or everything is on the table there's no um there's nothing we're going to turn away like is there's there's there like one ian gillen album where we're like nope we're not going to do that one no anything we're d- deep purple related we're gonna is, is is in consideration and this one definitely jumped probably f- uh, further ahead in the line than it would have otherwise because <laughs> on the strength of this picture alone so um so we figured why not um 
Okay, so uh, there's not a ton about this album out there that I've been able to find. Uh, Jorg was able to send some really cool, um, uh, some really cool articles and stuff we can get to later about the album. But basically, just Tony Ashton and John Lord were best friends, and they. Um, they collaborated on stuff uh, occasionally. Ashton had worked with uh, John Lord when Ashton Gardner and Dyke had all worked together um, on on the uh, with John Lord when he did the movie soundtrack for The Last Rebel, um, and they just always had this really great rapport. They just you could just see when I mean you just look at the album cover, which we'll talk about in a little bit. They they just were good friends having a good time. It's kind of similar. It reminds me like this is maybe like maybe a little bit more advanced, but it's kind of like the. Um, what is it, the Gillen Glover accidentally on purpose? It's just like two friends hanging out, laughing, <laughs> having a blast, making music kind of almost like uh, as a byproduct of them having fun, you know. Um, so mm-hmm. they recorded at three different studios, Air Studios, Apple Studios and Delane Lee, all in London. So personnel, ob- some obvious people. Um, uh, but this is a pretty great set of musicians on this album obviously you got guys of this caliber you're going to track some good stuff obviously tony ashton and john lord uh carmen apiece on drums um as well as cozy powell um terry cox and ian pace so four drummers uh terry cox uh mm-hmm. you know he he had worked with elton john and david bowie uh carmen apiece cozy powell and ian pace obviously anyone listening to the show already really knows but four incredible drummers uh there's not a ton of information sadly about like who played on what tracks but that's who the drummers were mm-hmm. frank ricotti who we've mentioned before i believe he was working with the <laughs> hey, oh, oh come on uh he... <laughs> get out of here frank ricotti um was on one of the trapeze albums right it was you are the music maybe um <laughs> i think so uh I remember Ew, oh a lot more than my balls here. I'm trying to lay down some percussion tracks. <laughs> um Jim Cregan on guitar. He was the bass player in Family, which is one of T- Tony Ashton's uh groups. Another group I really love loved Family. I have a few of their albums. Um or two of their albums. I don't even know how many albums they had, but I think I have a couple of them. Uh, Jerry Donahue on guitar, uh, who Danny Gatton praised for being the string bending king of the planet. And Danny Gatton's like a very highly regarded uh, telecaster player. Um, he was part of the folk group Father and Gay with Pat Donaldson. Peter Frampton is on guitar on this album uh, as well. Uh, Mick Clark. Um, I can't really find which Mick Clark it is. There's like a ton of them on on on. Um, discogs so i found one of them and i i shot him an email i was like hey are you the mick clark that played he's like nope not me uh but there's a lot of us out there so i guess it kind of happens frequently so i couldn't find exactly who <laughs> which mick clark it was um um i did find a uh a, a website but that's the wrong guy uh pat donaldson on bass guitar he was also in that group that we talked about with uh with jerry donahue um Dave Castle on trumpet, Mike Davis on trumpet, John Mumford on trombone, Dick Parry on saxophone. Dick Parry is interesting. He did um, the, a lot of the early saxophone work for Pink Floyd. So he did the famous saxophone solo on Money, Us and Them, and Shine on You, Crazy Diamond. So um, pretty highly regarded session player right there. Howie Casey on saxophone, who also worked on Malice in Wonderland, and he was heavily involved with Paul McCartney and Wings. 
Uh, Madeline Bell, who we've talked about before, a vocalist on Jesus Christ Superstar, who worked with Joe Cocker in the Rolling Stones. Tony Ferguson on backing vocals. Jimmy Helms, another Butterfly Ball alum, or the, the guy who sang Waiting and a member of London Beat. Then the last four backing vocalists, Kenny Rowe, Graham White, Joanne Williams, and Roger Willis. And then a ton of engineers involved on the album. Um, Alan Harris, who worked with um, uh, Silverhead, who was a, uh, they were Purple Records, I believe. Um, Bill Price, uh, who's a, another uh, guy that's got a ton of credits on Discogs, going going back to like Mott the Hoople and, and stuff like that. Jeff Emmerich was involved in this, the legendary Beatles engineer who engineered um, Revolver and Sgt. Peppers and uh, the White Album, Abbey Road, one of the greatest all-time engineers out there. John Middleton didn't have quite as many uh, credits as the others. And then the last one is John Mills, another one who's got a you know, fair number of credits on Discogs. Not a ton of stuff that I, um, that I recognized, other than Poco. I think Dan, Dan, our friend Dan, liked Poco at one point. He got, he got me one of their albums. Um, but that's it. Engineer. The other, the other engineer, I should say, is Martin Birch. Uh, so obviously, you know, it's going to be quality and then produced by John Lord and Tony Ashton. But whenever it's like produced by the guys in the band, but Martin Birch is an engineer, wink, wink, you know, who's running the show. It's Martin Birch. Um, and and as it should be. Um, so that is the uh, that's the lineup of uh, folks involved. I mean, uh, that's a huge number of people and a ton of really highly respected mm-hmm. engineers and um, musicians. Um, then we get to the nope. album art. No, ha- no, no hacks on no, no hacks no, on this album. No hacks involved. No hacks at all. Uh, then you got the, the album cover, which I was holding next to a horse in the, in the mid nineties. Um, this was always kind of a, a funny album cover. What, what do you think about this album cover? I think it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, it's one of the reasons that I picked this up was I had never heard any music on it before. Mm-hmm. I remember too, it was, it was, um, you know, one of the, you know, uh, record stores or Salvation Armies or wherever I was going through. And just because John Lord was on it and because it was so, such a like ridiculous album cover, I'm like, all right, I got to get this because, you know, uh, Tony Ashton is just like strong he's man. And John Lord's the, like, yeah. He's, yeah, he's, he's, he's wearing like the one piece 1920 sized uh, 1920 style, like men's bathing suit, bending the metal bar. And then John Lord is in like the carnival Barker sort of jacket with the hat. They <laughs> <laughs> present like, look like he looks guilty of something. Um, yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's definitely like, uh, just really amusing. I, uh, like you said, like, I didn't think of it that way then, but I definitely think now it just looks like two good friends having fun together. And, um, uh, notice the Tony Ashton, John Lord logo looks very similar to the Malice in Wonderland album cover. There's some kind of, um, I don't know, like the, the shapes or like the, the little kind of geometric things inside of their the T and the the A and the J and L for John Lord kind of have that yeah. kind of matches it a little um, bit. Cause this came before, right? Yeah. This came out in uh, 74 and the, um, and malice was seven. Oh yeah. I see. I see what you're saying with the malice and wonderland logo. Malice and wonderland was 77. 
So it's a few years later. Oh, okay. And oh, you'll hear this is yeah, it sounds so like a I, precursor I think, to it. And they kind of you yeah, it's like I without even looking at it, I just noticed that there were some of those elements in there. Like it looks stylistically the same as what they used on the um Malice in Wonderland cover. So I thought that that was pretty neat um, kind of a connection there. It's like, you know, those those guys were almost like they were carrying it over from here to the next album uh, just to kind of give it a little continuity or whatever. That's kind of neat. And um, and I didn't know what kind of music to expect from this. I thought like, oh, OK, maybe it's John Lord doing some, you know, swing big band stuff. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's what I remember so, thinking, too, is there was, you know, a little later than this, like um, Joe Jackson, Buster Point Dexter, all those guys like that were kind of more like in the kind of I don't even know how you describe their other music, but they they all kind of took stabs at that. And even Brian Setzer, they all took stabs at that kind of thing. So I was thinking this was like, oh, this is like a precursor to that. They're going to do like big band, but it's not it's there's a lot of horns and orchestrations and stuff, but it's not, it's by no means a big band kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least as I remember, it's been years since I listened to this. There might be, there might be one or two tracks that prove yeah, me, me wrong, but yeah. I, I don't remember. Um, I, I remember it being more yeah, of just kind of good, solid rock, rock and music with horns, you know? Um, so, we got that. The back cover, not a heck of a lot going on in the back cover. Just gives the track listing. Um, and it really just kind of, it doesn't even give much about the musicians um, on it either. It's just kind of that back cover. And then there's mm-hmm. the uh, Purple Records slash Warner Brothers uh, labels right there. That's the uh, artwork for First of the Big Bands. Not a, not as much to talk about as we had last week. <laughs> but uh, as far as artwork goes, but it's fun, a fun, funny... Um, album cover and that takes us before we get in it's funny that the i I think i think it's funny that we had more to say about that picture of us holding the album than we did the actual (laughs) album cover well i think that defied uh logic more so than um yeah than the album cover um all right so before we get on to the music we gotta thank our next us uh group of patrons our core level patrons coming in at the six dollar 66 cent tier richard fusey the five dollar 99 cent nice price tier we have fielding fowler the five dollar money lender tier greg sealby john convery arthur smith german heindel adrian hernandez kenny weimer jesper alman alexi the perfect stranger slipakoff james north mark hodgetts and kev roberts and at the $3 Nobody's Perfect here. Peter Gardo, Ian DeRosier, Mark Roback, Anton Glaving, Will Porter, Andrew Meyer. Oh, what's that? I just Andrew Meyer. Oh, that's right. I just got notified. Also a doctor. So there you go. We have two doctors in our patrons list. Doctor Andrew, let me know if you want me to put a doctor before your name. Sorry, Jill, you're doctor number two on the patrons list, but you know what? Um, you're both equal in my mind, mostly because you both are in the three dollar tier. If one of you moves up, you'll be you'll be uh, <laughs> you'll be the uh, I don't know what the doctor. What do they call What are the ranks of doctor like chief doctor or the resident? I don't know how the, any of that works. You guys will have to tell me and we'll, we'll figure something out. We'll have like <laughs> we could have like an orderlies and residents and 
I know orderlies from like the fat boys. That's about it. But um, also in our $3, <laughs> nobody's perfect tier. Duncan Leesk, Stuart McCord, drinking his whiskey by the fire, listening to our episodes, having more fun than we are. And Dr. Jill Brees. Thank you to all of you for supporting the show. Woo. All right. Well, you know what that means. It is time for these tracks. Now, the first, I usually don't, say anything about the first track i this first track i have a very strong memory of should, should i say it now or should i say it after the track i'll say it after the track but here we go this All one right. is called we're gonna make it now this sounds like two completely full sets of drummers like one in each channel listen to this guitar riff right here They list six, seven backup vocalists, so sounds like it. Jeez. Like John Lorder would have been working at Unburn around, or yes. probably Stormbringer at the same time as this. Yeah. This is great. Yeah, I've always really dug this. It's a really great opening rocker. I could hear Coverdale singing this. Oh, yeah, I'd be much like um, Malice in Wonderland. I don't know how to tell which guitarist it is. It's like if it, if there's a talk box, I'll probably assume it's Peter Frampton. But other than that, <laughs> I don't know. I know. But there's two. I like it's just a really like kind of dirty, like 70s sounding guitar. It's really. Yeah. You can hear a full drum set in your and left ear like and a full drum set in your right ear, but they're. It's not a panned set. They're two different drummers, it sounds like to me anyway. Huh. Could be. <laughs> and it's just this huge 
backup vocal and what it sound. could be is it could yeah because there's so many vocals but it, it could be literally like we could be listening to cozy powell and ian place playing at the same time and they basically didn't know which track to use and they're like ah just pan them both to different ears and we'll keep them both i mean who knows i don't know what the decision was that was made but it's definitely two separate tracks to me anyway and likely two different drummers There you go. That track was written by Ashton and Lord. Hmm. We're going to make it. Nice. Uh, that could have easily been on like uh, White Snake or North mm-hmm. Winds. White Snake yeah. or North Winds. It had that same kind of but, um, kind of honky-tonk rock feel to it that, uh, you know, with the singers and the, the guitar line and all that kind of stuff, that's you know, um, yeah, it was really, really good. It was, uh, it was a lot of yep. fun. So what are you going to rank? We're going to make it. Well, I'm going to make it a 3.5. Um, there we go. There it goes. <laughs> um, yeah. Yep. Um, I, I kind of wish though that I knew who, I mean, I'm sure you feel the same way. I kind of wish I knew who the lineup in each song was because it would be yeah. interesting to know like who the the guitar player was, the drummer. So, so you could just be like, wow, that's Peter Frampton or something like that, just doing something different. But, you know, and I mean, sometimes I maybe like a musician would know, you know what I mean? Like a drummer would hear that and just be like, oh, I can tell that's Carmine a piece or something. Yeah. From, you know, sometimes you can just tell you know, a musician well, style, but it's like, um, you know, I mean, who would even that's, know that's, um, who, who would even be alive that would know? I mean, Ashton's not with us. Lord's not with us. Cozy's not with us. Ian Pace might be your best bet. I mean, he might remember the songs that he played on, but honestly, probably not. Even these guys were doing so many sessions. They would be like, I don't, I don't remember what, which things I played on. Martin Birch is no longer with us. I mean, yeah. it would be, but it would be really interesting. Like, whenever you see an album that's got like four drummers you're like okay well who played <laughs> if it's one drummer it's fine but you know who played on each track like it's yeah even guitar play even bands that have like one lineup on an album sometimes i have two guitarists and you don't even know who's doing the guitar solo um it would be it right. would be great to know that but yeah there was um it's kind of like the like uh the gene simmons solo album it's his whole thing was having as many people on it as possible right. and like a ton of guest stars. And uh, I mean uh, that this reminds me of that, except his was more overblown. Like he made a big deal about like, Oh, like guess who's going to be on my album type of thing. Whereas it's like, you have this impressive list of people on this album and they weren't trying to use that as a marketing tool or whatever. But um, one of the like uh, solos on a better known song on his album was Joe Perry. And mm, when you right. listen to it, you're like, I wouldn't have known that was Joe Perry, like at all. Even like he has such a distinct style and sound and everything. And even listening to it, you're like, I still, yeah. like you still had to tell <laughs> I'll me. Take, I'll time. take your word for it. You could be, you could have bad, yeah, news, exactly. bad news. You could have saved some money and gotten someone cheaper because I can't tell it's him. <laughs> exactly. So I think that would be the same for here. And that's really the only thing that um, kind of, 
it doesn't take away from my enjoyment, but it keeps me wondering. It's just, it's one piece of the puzzle that's like, kind of like gnawing at me. Like, oh, I wish I knew who was on this because it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's good stuff. Yeah. Um, I think it's a fun and, and Tony Ashton actually like, you know, that I really am not a huge fan of his vocal style, but I thought he was pretty good on this. I think he, like I'm Malice in Wonderland. He was, he was much more like theatrical about his delivery and he was, he wasn't singing as much. And I feel like in his earlier stuff with like family mm. in here, he was more like singing and, you know, we might, get into some stuff later on where that's not necessarily the case, but um, he was mm-hmm. such a unique performer, the way that he delivered my, you know, it's one of those like front men who you, you consider more of a front man than a singer. And, you know, obviously he's mm-hmm. well regarded as a, as a keyboard and piano player and organ player. So, um, but yeah, he's more of a, he's more of a showman than anything else. He's such a, such a character. Right. Um, I will give this one a four. Um, my memory of this one, and it may be flawed and it might also even not be this one. It might be the live version of this, this one, which I also have. Um, but I remember buying this at the Emerald mall. I don't know what store it would have been and by myself. <laughs> nobody was with me. And I remember, um, putting the album on, on my way home. So it must've been on cassette. Cause I don't think I would have had a, I wouldn't have had a car that had it. No, I didn't have a car that had a CD player at, at that point. Um, and I remember listening to this song and we were recording an album at the time, you and I, and a bunch of other people. Speaking of trying to get as many people involved as possible <laughs> that summer, um, mm-hmm. there was a rotating cast of characters in and out of my uh, studio slash bedroom. And I remember didn't have an opening track for the al- I, everything else for the album was recorded. I, I didn't know what I wanted to open the album with. And I listened to this song. And when I got home, I wrote uh, a song immediately after hearing the song. That doesn't sound a ton like this, although there's a guitar riff in it that sounds like that. Like I kind of ripped that off a little bit. And it was totally mm-hmm. because of the song that I wrote that song. Um, and that ended up being the opener for that album that we recorded. So that this song has always been kind of, I've had a, a soft spot for because of that um, kind of being in, you know, one of those situations where you're like, you think about something, you think about something and you just like, I can't figure it out. And then all of a sudden it just like, when you stop thinking about it, it pops in your head. That was one of those situations. Like what, what should yeah. I want? I want to, I wanted to open the, album with like a, a rock and piano song, but I, I'm not a rock and piano player, so I didn't know what to do. And then this guitar riff came in and then I ended up going to our friend Scott's house who had a, a real piano rather than just a cheesy keyboard and recording my piano in his, in his, uh, parents' house. Well, I think I was the only one there. <laughs> I don't know where they were, but they let me come and go as I please. Um, and then recording the piano for that and then taking it back. So that that's why I have a soft spot for that song. So anyway, that brings us to our next track, which is the song Downside Upside Down. This is very like Malice in Wonderland with this like kind of dirty electric piano sound. That's so awesome. (laughs) 
There's like a wah guitar in there somewhere, it sounds like. Like this just kind of dirty, sleazy kind of sounding song. Never had a kink. Yeah. Never had a queen. Never ever witnessed or realized the scene. Uh huh. I got myself on the ground. The world keeps spinning around. And I don't know whether I'm upside down or down. I don't know if it's the transfer, but it, this album sounds like a little like muddy to be coming off of a CD. In, yeah. in kind of a cool way, but it's not crystal clear like I feel like Malice in Wonderland was. Yeah, definitely doesn't sound like it's aged well production wise. No, not as much as other stuff. And considering the cast of characters they had producing this thing, you could be a bad transfer. I wonder if this has been remastered at any point. <laughs> kind of an Ian Gillen band sort of sounding interlude. Actually, it says it says it was recorded between November of 71 and late 73. So that that could be the difference. Hmm. Because surprisingly enough, 19, the difference between 71 and 74 is (laughs) think about the difference between like fireball and burn, you know? Yeah. Very cool percussion in here. Frank Riccati, baby. Oh, yeah. I'd recognize his work anywhere. And definitely a cool John Lord riff. Doing a little scatting there. It says this one was recorded October 31st, 1972. Alright, so this was done somewhere in the middle. Yeah. Another and this is another Ashton Lord song. Song's got a just a that song's got a great vibe to it. Yeah, it's really like laid back. Very Laid like you back. want to put that on to like chill, you know? Just here and just like, hear Tony S. Like that would I, I I could use that as a sleep meditation. He always sounds so surly. <laughs> he's <laughs> I know he's in a I I just love but I know you you have mixed feelings about Tony Ashton's vocals, but I, I just I, I think he's just so 
he I know he had a lot of like like severe stage fright and performance anxiety, all sorts of stuff. And um to me, he always just seems like he exudes like this crazy amount of confidence. I think he's faking it. I think some of it, some of the time he was just drinking his way through it, and some of the time he was faking it, but to me it always just works really well. It made him a unique performer. Whatever that's for it sure. was he was doing. So what do you think of Downside Upside Down? I think it was decent. Um, I'll give it a three. Definitely All had right. like a cool vibe to it. Um, I, I Like I said, I like the John Lord riff. You know. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and the other uh, question was really cool too. I like that um, there wasn't a lot of difficult stuff going on here no virtuoso type stuff it was just really cool sounding mm-hmm. i'll give it a 3.5 i really dig the um all the stuff you said but also that all the various instruments that were playing at that time which would have been god who knows there would have been trumpet trombone saxophone all kind of mm-hmm. playing that little line there so i'm not sure who did the arrangements for this it might have been uh what's his name uh, uh it's the guy who did the who's arrangements it? who's it what the heck is you know who's it's why can't i find his name in this list here but the guy that um did how howie casey because i think he did the malice in wonderland orchestrations or or arrangements if i remember correctly but really cool stuff Okay, next track up, we have, where is it? This is a interesting title, Band of the Salvation Army Band. <laughs> Don't quite get that, but. nice groove the drums sound very distant yeah not getting like a really strong uh it could have been if they if they gave multiple drummers different stabs at these songs too they might have just mixed down the tracks too many times and you're getting uh the entire drums on one or two tracks which would make it sound a little smaller like this yeah, what it, it sounds like it has a like a everybody recorded live in the room at the same time type of feel to it. And, but it looks sounds like probably a bit, bit of overdubbing going on. This would have yeah. been one of the later but songs I mean, that's, in 1973. That's what I get from the sound, though. It's like it sounds like something that was recorded live, even though it probably wasn't. But yeah, you're right. The drums do sound pretty distant. Spe- speaking of the album we recorded when I got this album, uh, you know, I I had eight tracks to go on and I bounced all the drums down onto one track. And, you know, I was young and inexperienced and we had limited technology and the drums on the album sound like this. They sound very boxy and confined into one track versus a nice big stereo sound mm-hmm. 
Because that, dro- that that snare, that nice little snare fill, just sounded kind of dead. Yeah, weak. This this album was all kind of all, all over the place. It must have just been to- whenever Tony Ashton and John Lord were in town, they're like, "Hey, let's go! I've got another song. Let's go to the studio and have ten or twelve drinks, and whoever's around can lay down some tracks." Oh. I heard Cozy Powell's traveling through today. Let's have let's have him jump on. Who knows? Could have been. As we record this, this is the twenty uh, third anniversary of Cony, uh, Cozy Powell passing away. So very sad. Hey, twenty three. I think so. Feels like longer. I think it was 23. Our noises? Oh, that. Oh, that's weird. So they're singing Bringing in the Sheaves, a American gospel tune. Which presumably, you know, with the you hear the the shaking and the bells and the car horn, so it, you presumably kind of imagine they're standing outside the Salvation Army singing that, you know. Mm-hmm. There you go. That is Band of the Salvation Army Band. I don't get that title at all, but that's what they decided to call it. Hmm. Okay. Not just the Salvation Army Band or Band of the Salvation Army. It's Band of the Salvation Army Band. What do you rank this one? So, um, oops. Well, I just don't know how to use this anymore, do I? There we go. Um, I give this one a 2.5. Not really, not really crazy about it. Yeah. <clears throat> um, it just, it's kind of, it's kind of there. And plus, we're talking about the, the the overall sound, uh, particularly the drums, it just kind of turned me off a little bit. There yeah. was nothing really uh, great about it, and I think that we'll probably get this kind of thing from an album like this because we've reviewed mm. albums like this before, where it's done like, "Hey, such and such is coming through town," or uh, that's probably why there are so many people on this and why nobody has any recollections as it was put together over time it wasn't like hey let's get all these great people together at once in the studio and have a band so it's already sounding kind of like not a band effort so right it's very and and fair enough it's it's branded as tony ashton and john lord um, right so i, I think know, we're gonna find a lot of, of them songs kind of on, floating around right I, I think we're gonna it could be one of these like um what was the other album like the um uh tommy Bolin. Right teaser, the, fir- the first the one. Same yep. way, mm-hmm. yeah, was the same thing as we'll find a, a collection of songs that are not really cohesive, but there are going to be some here or there that stand out. But to find an album like uh, full of strong songs that sound like a complete band playing together, it's that this isn't going to be it. So no, for, no, I accept and I accept it for what it is. 
and you've got you know two guys just surrounding themselves with whoever's around at the time you, you could make the same con- connection to like steely dan you know it's just it's walter becker and donald fagan just and whoever they wanted to play with at the time, but their albums seem mm-hmm. to sound a lot more cohesive. I mean, that's maybe not a fair comparison because this is not two guys that were intending to do this long term. They were just doing this as a as a one off project. But right, exactly. Um, I think I will also give this a two point five, mostly on the on the weakness of the production, which is just sounds crazy when you're like Martin Birch, Jeff Emmerich, all the, some of the greatest producers of all time, yeah, yeah. and their production's not so good. But it's not. It's 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 kind of muddy, and the song itself is fine. I could see this getting a three, maybe a three point five with like really good production. Um, it's it's fun, you know. They throw in that little, you know, that little uh, gospel tune at the end for 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 a laugh. But um, but overall, yeah, just the execution of it is is a little weak. And considering this one was recorded in seventy three. Um, and, you know, maybe having them having three different studios used for all of these um, probably doesn't help with the cohesiveness of the project either. You know, different all these different producers, all these different studios, all these different musicians. Um, it's going to add up to not that an album has to com- have this complete, super cohesive sound, but it it it, it doesn't sound like one co- cohesive project yet at this point. Um, which brings us to the next song on the first side of the album, which is Silly Boy. This reminds me of like a white snake, white snake kind of sound to it, too. I will give them this. The bass is pretty prominent in the songs. Yep. vocals on this sound like something from like the 50s you know like like hmm. an old old christmas tune or something good song i like some of the chord changes in the verses Yeah, the bass is great on this. Donaldson? Pat Donaldson? (laughs) Bass player from a folk group you wouldn't think would be 
laying down lines like this. It was great. <laughs> Oh, you're right. It's kind of really a old-fashioned sounding core. Uh, it makes me think I'm listening chorus. to like a, an old Christmas song. Like it's where they like couldn't quite blend the background vocals into the background. They just they sat on the front and sounded like a little too much, which is a cool sound if 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 you're going for that intentionally. Maybe I really like that. The amount of reverb they had in the vocals, too. I just can't even it doesn't sound anything like a Christmas song. But all I can think of is like 1954 Christmas album. Maybe you have Bing Crosby singing the lead vocals. <laughs> I don't know. This, well, the style, the background vocals were in, especially the way it ended was really cool. Like, I really kind of like that. Yeah, it was very well done. Just it just it mm -hmm. sounded so much older than it was. And that might have been intentional. Well, I like that when a song can do that. I mean, you figure, too, that they were only like 20 years removed from the 50s anyway. Mm -hmm. So that would be like if we did a song from the early 2000s right now <laughs> and tried to mimic that style. Right? Yeah, to me, the early 2000s and now seem like the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I have so much nostalgia oh. for what was going on in the early 2000s. I don't even remember. So what do you rank silly boy? You silly boy. Oh, boy, boy bands, <laughs> silly boy bands in the early 2000s. <laughs> um, so I'll give this one a 3.5 um, on the strength of, like I said, I enjoyed the, the chord changes. I thought it was a really cool song when you pointed out how old school like for the seventies, the background vocals were, it really made me enjoy it. Um, the only thing that was, is that I like probably like Malice in Wonderland is I am, I was hearing David Coverdale's voice singing this instead of Tony Ashton's. Mm -hmm. um, like, I don't know. I just probably because it's like, he's got that same kind of um, a little bit of a little bit of a, um, I don't know, a, not not husky, but kind of a gruff, um, you know, not really a, a, a clean, but sometimes like really just kind of soulful voice that's really just next to Tony Ashton, a lot more polished. And mm -hmm. so I heard that. And I'm like, wow, this would be like a really great like David Coverdale solo song. Um, and that's pretty much it. it. It's still it was still enjoyable, though, because a good song is a good song. So. Um, I yeah. thought it was interesting enough to rate, rate high, or higher, um, despite a couple of shortcomings. Yep, I will give this one a three. I think it's um, if they were going for that, like as an intentionally kind of throwback thing, which I don't know if they were doing that consciously. It's cool, but 
overall, I'd say apart from the first track so far, that the, the the following three tracks on the side anyway have just suffered from, quite frankly, lackluster production, which is not what I'm expecting. Like like I said, and maybe it's just a a matter of there being too many people, too different, too many different studios, too many different producers, too many different musicians. The mixing yeah. job could have been rushed through. Who knows? Um, but yeah, so far it's just not the album doesn't sound the first track I think sounds pretty good, but fast forward three years and hear, hear how, Al, how Malice in Wonderland sounds, how good that album sounds. Um, and the same year with white snake, same more, both with Martin Birch. Um, mm-hmm. I can't imagine that Martin Birch got that much better in three years. Obviously tech, technological changes at this time are making things move at a, super super fast rate but we've heard a lot of other things from 73 and 74 that sounded a lot cleaner than this so far i mean it could have been the fact that it was put together like we said it was put together over time and there were probably a lot of good engineers involved but the the end product once it was mixed down maybe didn't get as much attention um or money behind it as a kind of a focused project would have. Yep. That would be my guess. Yeah, that definitely, uh, that definitely could be it. Yeah. And it, it, the, I'm obviously the, the record label wasn't pumping tons of money into this. Cause this was just probably a fun project for the two of these guys. So. Mm-hmm. Okay. That takes us to the final track on side one of this album. And that is surrender me. This is an Ashton Solo writing credit on this one. Hmm. Almost sounds like a bunch of loops playing together, but obviously that wasn't the case. really different yeah that whole gu- that guitar line is really weird they say nbd at the end Phaser or whatever chorus or whatever it is on the guitar sounds cool. It's like you got this kind of like funky. It's like the riff is like a cross between like a funky slash western sounding type of song. Yeah, it's bizarre. Country, country western. 
little electric piano solo going on there. It's funny with two phenomenal keyboard players, there hasn't been a lot of soloing by either of them. Oh, might have been more about just doing some fun stuff than showing off. Because a lot of times you'll hear like these solo artists or people that do projects like this would rather just write some songs and have some fun than flex their their muscles and, you know, show yeah, off. Yeah, you got to admire guys like that that can sit back. Like John Lord on like Sarah Band, he's like practically playing nothing for whatever, seven minutes, however long that song is. It's all about the composition of the song and the other instrumentalists on the piano. It's like, I could probably play that piano part. And that's saying a lot. It's very, yeah. I couldn't play it as well as he could, obviously, but it's, it's very simple, <laughs> and very repetitive. And he just sits back and lets everyone else take the spotlight. It's a sign of a really mature and well-developed instrumentalist. <laughs> Surrender boogaloo. <laughs> Right, surrender me. What are you going to surrender for this song, John? I'll surrender three. All right. I'll surrender three. I don't know. Three. Three carnival things, barker hats. Pieces of metal. <laughs> three. Or three <laughs> bent pipes. <laughs> three bent pipes. <laughs> I was that. That's what I was there trying to go. figure out. Um. Yeah, I think it was uh, another song that wasn't um, terribly great, but it was uh, it was interesting, yeah. um, and it had some cool parts to it. And I mean, I I like and I can like and respect the fact that they're trying to do something different, um, a little funky, mm-hmm. uh, experimental, whatever. Because yeah, you don't hear a guitar line like that a lot like you said it's it's really funny because it did sound like when we were like um experimenting with loops uh back when we could like do you know cut and paste stuff on the computer yeah, and everything yeah, yeah. and you just like you know loop one crazy thing and just lay them all over each other and it's like oh okay there's all this random shit just like playing it did sound again. like loops i That's mean maybe it what was this sounds for like. all we know maybe they were using tape loops but but I mean, it was um, it was definitely like a really different type of riff, and uh, still maintain that that kind of laid back, fun atmosphere. Um, so, yeah, most of this right now sounds like yeah. If we had it on in the background, yeah, it would be like yeah, okay, we could chill to this. But I wouldn't. So far, I wouldn't like grab this album and be like, I gotta play surrender me (laughs) or something i wouldn't seek it out yeah i'm kind of on the fence about this one i think i'll give it a three because if i feel like if i go into 2.5 territory i'm kind of like saying i don't like it and i like it but i feel like it's a very underdeveloped song like it's ashton Mm. it's ashton solo so like I, f- 
I, I can't help but think if he goes to up to Dick Parry and says, hey, could you put a really cool sax solo on 12 bars of this that you could amp the song up a little bit? And if they just the arrangement of it's bizarre, which I usually like um, and I have no problem with, but it just seems like it could have gone somewhere else. Um, and unfortunately, it mm-hmm. never really does. So barely bumping that one up to a three, almost True. a 2.5 for me. It's it seems to me like total total filler to end the side. Mm. And there's nine tracks on this album, so I was like, if you could cut one so far, that would probably be the one for me to cut. Well, even though I ranked Salvation Army <laughs> lower, but I think that was mostly on the strength of the production on that song. The production on that was probably the worst that we've heard yet. So, but. Mm-hmm. We're ready to flip the album over to side B or side two, whatever you want to call it, with a song called Celebration. Not the one from the White Snake out. Was a White Snake that had celebration on it? Yeah. But here we go. Celebration. Let's see how side two shapes up. Not really what you expect from a song called Celebration. Sounds like Dylan. funny to hear a guy's playing a mournful sounding song talking about how he'll sing a joyful song (laughs) like well when is that going to happen exactly kind of got that country slide guitar going on This song was written by Ashton and Lord. Is that a accordion? Yep. I don't see any accordion credits on this. What gives? Nate's pissed. <laughs> he needs accordion credits. If you played accordion in the song, it was an organ grinder. Us. It was Giuseppe. Giuseppe, <laughs> the organ grinder. Frank Riccati's cousin. Hey, Could have been John Lord with that jacket he's wearing. Somebody playing tubular bells in the background. Or is that vibraphone? There's a kitchen. 
kitchen sink on this song here. I like those background vocals, those ahs. Some really, like you pointed out earlier, this the really good slide guitar going on in the background there. That's celebration to open up. A lot going on. That's, here. It sounds more like that would have been a better close to a side than an opener. Hmm. And for what that's worth, that's celebration. What do you think of celebration? That was actually one of the earlier. That was re- recorded the day after we're going to make it, nineteen seventy-one. You know, it just it it made me think of the the melody was making me think of something, and it kind of made me. I just realized it kind of sounds like Deep Purple's version of um, um, Help. Oh wow! Yeah. Na 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 na. Yeah, that's a that's a good call. Because I'm I'm because I'm thinking that I'm like that sounds really familiar, and then it didn't really hit me mm-hmm. until like the song was over. Um, which isn't a bad thing because I actually like the don't don't hold me to whatever my ratings were in the beginning. But I actually like the Deep Purple version of yeah of Help um, at least a little bit. Um, I remember thinking that was a really kind of um, interesting take on it because the original version, of course, is very happy-ish. Yeah, and the interest the the while it's interesting in the in the Beatles version that it's like a a cry for desperation but it's kind of an upbeat song is that john lennon wanted it to be this really he wanted it to sound like the deep purple version but the record company is like no it's got to be a single it's got to be upbeat and jazzy so they like made this really which which on the one hand kind of ruined what he was going for but on the other hand it it does make that interesting uh juxtaposition of this this super upbeat almost happy sounding song that's definitely a cry for help so Mm -hmm. So, uh, well, in terms of this celebration, which is another uh, like a juxtaposition here, you have a really happy title and then a really yeah. kind of melancholy sound. <laughs> it's, it's their version of help in um, reverse, right? Um, yeah. Um, but I'll um, I can I'll rate it a three mm-hmm. um, because while it's I feel like it's kind of all over the place and there's just. Um, I don't know, I feel like it's kind of. I don't want to say it's a mess of a song, but it's kind of a mess. Mm. 
Cause it's like the, I don't know. I felt like the acoustic guitar, like was sounded like really sloppy, like mm-hmm. either sloppily played or recorded. And then it just kind of like got buried in the background. And then, you know, they were like the, this, pe- these people talking or this crowd noise and then a friggin' accordion. And then it's like, <laughs> a friggin accordion. Much- <laughs> there's a friggin' accordion. <laughs> there's just too much. There's just too much random stuff going on here. Mm. I I feel like this is one of those songs that we've talked about where if you got like a song doctor in or something, yeah, um, they you know they could have taken this or or if or if somebody took it now and they kind of worked on it a little bit and polished it up, it would be, um, you know, a much better finished product. Like there's some good good bones here, but um, mm-hmm. it's just it's just kind of all over the place. But it it wasn't terribly. Uh, bad to listen to it was like it was pleasant just because like uh the the melody was good and yeah that's about it i'll give this one a 2.5 i think um everything you said is totally valid 2.5 it's uh it's very it reminds me of the old like writing principle show don't tell Like, you know, if you're writing a story, you show something, you don't tell, tell, you you don't say, oh, this character was really mean. You show them being really mean and let the the reader decide for themselves that, oh, this character is really a bad character. You don't have, you don't just hit them over the head with it. You show the badness happening. And for me, it's just like with celebration, it's like, you show me that you're telling me there's a celebration, but I'm not hearing it. I'm hearing a kind of melancholy celebration. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's kind of plotting. It's the four and a half minutes. You know, I think of mm-hmm. two other songs called celebration. Uh, the song by Coverdale on white snake album, which is a great, celebration song like that song should be called celebration and the other one that 95 percent of the population knows which is cool in the gang celebration that is a celebrate that is a you don't hear that song and think oh is this a sad song i'm not sure um it it, it it's it's odd and maybe you know maybe that was the point maybe the point was to call it a celebration but it's a sad celebration i don't know but to me it just didn't quite mm-hmm. work that's for me right. anyway. But, it, you know, like you said, if this is on in the background and, you know, it's like, eh, it's a, I like the vibe of this album, but the production and the kind of arrangement of some of this stuff is a little questionable so far. Yeah, surprisingly not the best. Yeah. Yeah. And despite like what I think is a really great opener with We're Going to Make It, uh, so far it hasn't quite lifted off the ground yet. Um, now wouldn't it be funny the next song is called I've Been Lonely wouldn't it be funny if this one was like really upbeat with horns well, let's, I've been lonely well, see. I, somehow I don't think that's going to happen but let's take a listen to I've Been Lonely ah, this is nice Did he just roll his R? Running? <laughs> he likes to do that sometimes. I won't know until we listen back to this episode. I do like when Tony Ashton rolls his R's, though. 
This is another solo Ashton song. But a great, like, sleazy kind of sound again. Almost Zappa-esque little horn unison going on there. I hear that if you if you took a distorted guitar and threw it in there where the keyboards were, this could be a heavy song. Oh yeah. Especially where he yells down there. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. Almost like Foxy Lady. Yeah, there you go. I love those little horn lines. Those those are great. That little call and response between him and the horns is like reminding me of a Zappa song. I can't put my finger on it. The only difference is the horn part repeats itself, and Zappa would never do that. He'd have a different horn line every time just to screw with you. Mm. I think it's Stinkfoot that I'm thinking of. Zappa song Stinkfoot. Peter Gard- Peter Gardot is listening. He'll he'll correct me. I know he's a big Zappa guy. You could say Frank Zappa stink finger, and I would think, okay, that's an album. <laughs> like, I, that's how much I know about Frank Zappa. Me and the Simple Man have been toying with doing a, a spin-off Zappa podcast for year for the past two years, but yeah. this hasn't happened yet. We're too worried about being sued by the Zappas. Very litigious. Great organ there. And this was, this one does not say, and I'm just getting this from Wikipedia, so I don't know where they got this from, but this one doesn't say when it was recorded, but I'd say that so far this is, apart from the opening track, the best production we've heard so far in a song. Mm-hmm. All right. I've been lonely. John, what do you say about I've been lonely? Oh, ha- have you? <laughs> I wish I've been lonely. <laughs> yeah, I knew you were going to say that. That's the, like, that's be like the, the theme of the theme of COVID is like, just like, God, what I wouldn't give to be lonely. I remember a, a couple of years ago, my, my cousin got married. She's, Man, 10 years younger than me. Um, so I, I went back to Rhode Island and I went went to her wedding and it was just me. And um, you know, my family didn't come with me because it was just, it was going to be too much for all of us to go. So I went by myself for like, you know, three days or whatever. And I remember going to my parents' house and being there and having this sensation come over me that I was bored. 
like I was, I was like, my parents were doing something and I was like, whatever. And I was just like, I was upstairs in my old bedroom and I was just like, I had all my stuff put away and I was like, what is this? What is this feeling? Oh my God, I'm bored. And I was so excited. So excited. I was just like, <laughs> this is the great, I would, I just wanted to capture that moment in a bottle, the feeling of being bored. Oh, it was, it was beautiful. I haven't, I hadn't felt that in, in years years since that point it was so great highly recommend being bored guys if you're bored right now i am jealous <laughs> i'm so jealous <laughs> oh so uh, great anyway um <laughs> off on a tangent well, here let's give nate a minute here let's let him just like have a moment and recover from this <laughs> wonderful memory <laughs> you know what song i think i'm thinking of by zappa is camarillo brillo i think no no Cosmic Debris, I think, is the song I'm thinking of. Cosmic Debris. That's it, Peter Gardot, mm-hmm. if you're listening. Cosmic Debris is a song that has like kind of a, a vocal and then like a little horn line, kind of like that, that this reminds me of. Cosmic Debris. There you go. Okay. Anyway, moving on. What do you, what do you rank uh, I've Been Lonely? I'll believe you. I'll believe you. Um, <laughs> I could say anything right now. Uh, it's uh, yeah. What was, the, what was the show that your, de- your dad created? Desperate Fantasies or what was <laughs> what did he? I'm already desperate fantasies. I like that one even better. No, what, what did um, he? It was look, um. Oh crap! You're looking like it drastic up. Drastic emotions. Drastic emotions. It's the Zappa remember. song. Zappa song. Drastic emotions. That's what this reminds me of. <laughs> drastic emotions sounds like into- most of my days hanging out with like eight year olds. Drastic emotions. <laughs> <laughs> Mm, swingy is swingy emotions like yeah oh god dra- drastic, drastic emotions <laughs> <laughs> all right what do you we say go through to, this all night i've been lonely um yeah, i was gonna say what the hell's the name of the song again um so um i'll i'll give this one a 3.5 because um i i thought that generally it was um it was pleasant to listen to mm-hmm um, it, it, it definitely, it was, it was definitely slow and kind of plotting, but it had that, um, what did you call it? A foxy lady yeah, type of yep. vibe to it. Boom, boom, bang. Um, yeah. I kind of like that. And, and in my head, I heard, I heard a heavy song. Mm-hmm. Um, like I heard a heavy version of this and I kind of liked when he was like, no, no. Yeah. 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 He really, when he like, when he kind of did that, I thought that that worked. And um, yeah, and it just came over me during this song. It's like uh, when I heard a little more prominent John Lord mm. organ is like, it's, it's kind of nice to hear him just at this point, like he's just doing something different. You know, you always hear him just kind of like wailing on, on that Hammond and, mm-hmm. and, and there's just none of that here. Yeah. So it, it just, it's great that he already just, you know, had been around um, in the music scene for like, really a few years. Right. And, um, he's already just showing all these different, um, sides to his, to his talent and, uh, you know, having already written the concerto and just been on so many great deep purple albums by the time this came out, he was like, so accomplished. And he's like, yeah, I'm just gonna, just gonna hang back, write some songs, do some different stuff, not show off. Um, you know, kind of, hang in the back a little bit 
create some different sounds. That's I think that's great. Absolutely. I will second that with a 3.5. I think it's uh I think you I don't know that there's anything you said that I could add to. It was it was a fun, enjoyable song. Had a great groove to it and a great it set a good mood. Um yeah, good stuff. Which brings us to the second to last track on the second side of the album and the album in general. And that is the track Shut Up. All the drums all in one channel there. Now you got two drummers again. It sounds like the first song. Another Ashton Lord song. Great horns. Song's got a good groove so far. Really nice. Funny, this the production on this song again. This was Delane Lee Studios in '72. This is one of the better produced songs, I think. Yep. It sounds again like two drum tracks, though, one in each ear. Nice. That must be Dick Perry. A little back in the mix, though, the solo. Could have could have brought that a little more forward for me. Yeah. But it's nice to hear a sax solo. Always a fan of hearing a sax solo. I just like the background singers just going, shut up. That's <laughs> <it's> great. <laughs> shut up. Yes, yeah, I would love to know who those two drummers are. They're probably two different drummers. kind of reminds me of is that CeeLo Green song 
F U. You know mm. what I'm talking about? Yeah. That kind of same uh, energy. Although the CeeLo Green song might be hard to top. <laughs> it's a great song. <laughs> and the radio edit version, Forget You. Forget you! <laughs> yeah, well, you know, they they found a way to found a way to make it happen yeah wait it's just like this is we're gonna write a song called fuck you and it's gonna be a huge radio hit we're just gonna change one word and it's all gonna be fine and that was a that was a huge huge hit great song too i'm sorry i don't i don't care who knows it um okay so what do you think of shut up oh you gave it a very un you forget very (laughs) unconventional an unconventional rating i've never seen that rating before I, I can't type. Uh, three point five. Originally, it was a no, three point eight. He just no, no. we've never had a three point eight before. Although maybe yeah, when Paul a, was on, he had some weird Jesus Christ superstar ratings. Yeah, it's like you know, I gave it an extra point oh three for. Uh, um, no three three point five because I think you kind of pinpointed it. Like I'm trying to figure out what other kind of R and B ish type of song that sounded like, mm-hmm. and um, it just it's had that kind of swing that maybe the first track had. Um, a little bit, um, and uh, yeah, just had a good groove to it. Definitely better produced. I like the double drums, just like you. Wish I knew who <laughs> was playing it. Mm. Um, I mean, it's 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 just amazing to think that could be yeah. Ian Pace in one ear and Cozy Powell in the other. For all we know, yeah, it, or Carmen Peace in one ear and Ian Pace in the other. Who knows? It's just crazy to think that. That's what's probably happening, and we probably have no way of knowing. Ian Pace right. isn't going to remember, even if we were able to ask him. Last well, time I asked him something on YouTube, I, I, I did the answer I got. I can't remember what it was, but it was like, did not answer the question. So, oh well. <laughs> well, I, I, you know, I, I think the, the, you know, the song too. I think was a little on the long side, or it felt like it was on the longer side. What was it? A three forty, not that long, but yeah, I, I agree. It didn't. It it didn't have a ton going on. It didn't yeah. get beyond that point. It didn't. It didn't introduce a ton of new elements. So that might be yeah. why. So it felt a little longer than it was, but mm-hmm. that was probably my biggest gripe. Fair enough. I will also give it a three point five. I think they kind of picked up a little from the. Uh, uh, from the be- from the first side and to the beginning of the second side, and I think it's a pretty it's a solid effort. So, which brings us to the final song on the second side and also the album, and that is the one of their better known works, the ballad or just ballad of Mister Giver. I thought thought they were going to play Demon's Eye. (laughs) Yeah, it did sound like that. See, they have a song called Celebration that's really melancholy, and this is supposedly a ballad. Listen to this. (laughs) See, this song should be called Celebration. (laughs) The tinkling piano on the high notes and... I know you, but 
Now this is the kind of stuff that you really don't like that Tony Ashton does. This kind of rapping kind of spoken word almost stuff that he does. Yeah. He's keeping it kind of musical. Yeah. A little plot down by the river. It's got a kind of a no one came yeah. type of feel to it with the verses, you know? Yeah, that's a great that's a great observation. I feel a couple of things are borrowing from like he's I think he borrowed from purple. You know, I'm not a big fan of that um that kind of like storytelling sort of song. Like it's not usually my yeah. favorite, but like no one came and this are good examples of an kind of an interesting way of doing it. That's why I like like um like the song American Pie. Ugh, can't stand it. You know what I mean? Uh, like enough already with the story. <laughs> like I don't want to hear it. <laughs> yeah. Man, that bass is nasty. I feel like we've been introduced to so many incredible bass players doing this show. Yeah. Hmm. That's Frank Riccati on the vibraphone, folks. Jeez. All right, the vibraphone is really up front. <laughs> I like they have a saxophone. It's like sitting in the back. The vibraphone. They just crank that thing. <laughs> they just crank that shit up. <laughs> more vibraphone. More. I I need need a lot more vibraphone in the mix, guys. What can we do to really really beef this up? Just put the mic like a quarter of an inch away from it. <laughs> they mic'd each individual uh, note on the vibraphone. <laughs> I like that'll do it. Like sixty-four mics. This one was recorded on in November of seventy-two and March of seventy-three at two different studios. So, who knows what was going on? God, these tapes must have just <laughs> these tapes flying back and forth across all these different studios. And I didn't mention earlier, but the, um, the cover art was done by um, just just um, listed as Kosh, who is John Kosh. 
who is the creative director for Apple Music. A pretty, probably a pretty good name to have on your project at that point. Hmm. He's the one that created the War Is Over campaign for John Lennon and Yoko Ono, amongst many other later album cover designs for the Beatles, I believe. You know how I feel about horns, but the horns on this album are really outstanding. Yeah. I mean, I'm a sucker for any horns, but the horns from top to bottom of this album have been great. What do we got a reprise going on here? So it goes into a little reprise of Celebration there. Which is a very odd move. See, kind of proving my point from earlier, I felt much better about that song hearing it like that. Like, I feel like closing out a side of an album with that sounds really good. I just didn't think it worked as an album, a side opener very well. Hmm. But it was a very bizarre choice to bring in a reprise of maybe 20 seconds of that song at the end of that. Yeah, weird. Ballad of Mr. Giver, what do you think? Uh, so, Demon's Eye? I mean, uh, yeah, dang. Yeah, dang. Um, uh, I'll, give it, I'll give it a three. Um, I, I actually liked it. I mean, I liked, the, you know, I, I felt it was kind of heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, but a couple of things was I don't like the story telling lyrics. Mm-hmm. And it was just really long. Yeah. Yep. It just, it felt way too long and drawn out. And um, yeah, the vibraphone was like mad loud. <laughs> the solo is crazy loud. <laughs> so again, I think like it was, it was cool that it was in there, but it, it was not necessary to anything. Mm-hmm. Like I, I didn't hear that and just be like, oh man, that's like a rockin' vibraphone solo i was really i was, um, <laughs> I was really jonesing for a vibraphone vibraphone solo and they they really filled that need but i don't know i figured like you could put something like that and like you could throw in a a sax solo or something somewhere like you with the right production putting it in the right place you know with the right energy it could have been cool yep i just think it was just kind of like hey look a vibraphone yeah, we weren't we weren't planning on doing this, but we came into the studio and there was a vibraphone sitting there. So we figured, why not? Yeah, let's give like, you know, Chuckles McGee a call and he can just wail away on this. I mean, Frank, Frank Riccati, a talented sure, and experienced vibraphone player. Yeah, yeah. I will also give this a three. I think it, I kind of liked on Like I said, the celebration reprise, I was like, wow, I, I like this to close out an album. I feel like if celebration had been 
a minute and a half long song at the end of this, kind of like uh, Wish You Well sort of situation. Right, right. At the end of the side, I would love it. Um, so I liked that part of it. And the Ballad of Mr. Giver, you hit on a lot of the points. It's too long. Too long without much going on. The vibraphone solo was a little odd. And the storytelling lyrics just aren't my thing. Some people love that. It's just not my thing. It's not our thing, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. I didn't like the reprise at the end either. I thought it was really didn't fit. Didn't fit with the song. No, it was. Yeah, it was. It was, I don't know, for lack of a better term, clumsy. Just kind of mm. tacked on the end. Um, I'm, I love like reprises generally on albums. Like I, I don't have a problem with that. But that was, yeah, that was an odd one. I just think maybe like not a lot of not enough thought was really put into all the songs like you were saying to like uh, there was one song where you're like it didn't sound like a fully developed song. I think that what we what we heard was just a collection of songs like you were saying probably John Lord and Tony Ashton getting together and having a good time and recording with some friends and maybe not really being concerned if they were putting in a ton of thought and effort and crafting these really great songs they're just laying down some jams yeah yeah that's fine yeah yeah and much like but i pointed out earlier with accidentally on purpose it's it creates an interesting vibe um it's mm -hmm. and it's and it's fun it's kind of a fun project to listen to but overall if you're looking listening to it very critically there's some obvious uh areas for improvement so there you have it. That is episode six. Uh, episode six. <laughs> Sorry, you just sorted the uh, spreadsheet. That is Tony Ashton <laughs> and John Lord, first of the big bands. And before we get on to the uh, final rating of the album, we would like to thank some of our wonderful patrons um, who support the show and make the show possible. Our foundation level patrons. That's the one dollar made up name tier. Coming in at $1, Elle's Murders, Spacey Noodles, The Sickly, Leakly, Leakly, Leaky Mausoleum, Leakly, Michael Vader, Stephen Somerville, the Concerto 1999 fanatic, Raf Calf, and of course, Spike the Rock Cat, who I called Spike the Biker Cat the other day in our episode. And uh, there's a story. <laughs> there's a story of why I said that. It wasn't just a weird thing. Um, and it actually has to do with our guest host, Paul. Uh, so maybe next time he's on, I'll have him explain why I accidentally called him Spike the Biker Cat. All right. So, John, where does Tony Ashton, John Lord, first of the big bands, stack up in our album rating? So we have a combined rating of 6.33. Each of us giving it 3.17. No variance. Wow, that's a rare no variance. We liked variance. it equally. Yep, we liked it equally. So this comes uh, just a little under. I'm sorry. Yep. Um, sorry, a little over. Captain Beyond sufficiently breathless. Mm. And a little bit under. Wild Thing by Fancy. Yes, the 
the week, and the oddly weakest enough, of the Captain uh, Beyond two, two, uh, two away from John Lord Windows was also one higher than that. Hmm. So comes very close to another Lord solo effort. And it's interesting because when you think of, um, you know, we rank all these albums, but then we also talk about how kind of sometimes the rankings don't necessarily represent exactly how we feel. But I remember the Windows episode being one of the more fun episodes to record. Mm -hmm. Part of it having to do with just the video, watching the video of it and the spectacle of that and Ray Fenwick's yellow suit and all that. But um, (laughs) it's just it's it's such a uh, an interesting album. But yeah, I mean, I think this is. Yeah, I was thinking that maybe this one will go higher, but um, when you think of you scroll up to Malice in Wonderland is getting a seven point two eight, and this gets a six point three three. It's you know almost huge difference between the two, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I mean I think it shows. And I think my main issue with this album is really the production. Same, and some of the production choices and. Um, there's all the, 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 the bones of the album are pretty solid. Some pretty, it's a fun album to listen to. It's got a good groove to it and a good feeling to it. But at the same time, it's all over the place. And, um, if you look at the, the listing of the musicians and the listing of all the different places and times that these were recorded over, over a three year stretch, it's not, it's no surprise that it's a little disjointed. Mm-hmm. But, um, there you have it. That is. Yes. Sounds more impressive than it actually is. Right. Yeah. And you could, you can, you know, you could make an album and say, oh, I've got, you know, on my album, I've got guest solos by Steve Vai and Joe Satriani. And, you know, you could have, you could line up 10 amazing guitar players and then have a bunch of lame songs with, you know, good one take solos from all those guys who are are awesome players, but it doesn't necessarily gel. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd I'd say the kind of the horn arrangements on this album are great. The backing vocals are great. And the bass playing is great. Um, And then obviously all the stuff that they're doing on those, those pianos and keys and stuff, the drum sound on this album is not great. Um, you've got four, four of like, which is top damn shame Four top, top, top tier rock drummers of the time and of all time on this album. And it, it sadly falls flat. It sounds very, it it reminds me like I, and this is completely unintentional, but we talk about that album that I, that I was inspired to write the opening track for off of the opening track for this. And it, the drum sound sounds like the sound on that album, which is one dimensional, not well produced, mm. mixed down too much onto one track. Um, and yes, yeah, because I was, you know, a young man recording that in my bedroom <laughs> and not a skilled producer. But the fact that you've got all these these heavyweights involved in the production is kind of a head scratcher. But there you have it. Who knows? And like, if if they were just in town, oh, we're go- we're both going to be in London together at the time. Okay, cool. We'll 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 book the studio. We'll book four hours, and we'll go in there and do this. Maybe they just came in. We only have this amount of time. They banged it out and left, and didn't do overdubs until a year later. It could have been anything, but at any rate, it's a uh, that's kind of what it is. Um. So, 
Um, a few quick little reviews that Yorg was kind enough to send us. Tony Ashton and John Lord, we're going to make it. This would have been, I guess, the single. A smoking sound from two old hands who know how to get together a rousing record. This tracks from their new album, First of the Big Bands, whimsical title, which sets out to redefine the excitement and atmosphere of the British R&B bands of the early 60s. Explain some of the production choices. And the clubs mm. they played in Flamingo, 100 Club, Eel Pie Island, Ricky Tick. I guess those are some clubs <laughs> I'm not familiar with. <laughs> those were the days, or were they? Still a hit. Big brass, big guitar, big everything. No, fair enough. All right. Kind of a good good review. Kind of good review there. Um, here is a an ad from Sound Melody Maker. Um, you've never heard them like this before. Tony Ashton and John Lord, first of the big bands. Um, it says Tony Ashton, late of family in Ashton, Gardner Dyke and John Lord, Deep Purple's pyrotechnic keyboarder, joined forces for a surprise set of romping rhythm and blues originals, a captivating collection. That's an ad, obviously not a review. Um, there is some ads for the live show that they were going to do. Here's a cool ad, um, in, uh, article i guess first of the big bands deep purple's john lord and tony ashton flirt with freedom there's a picture of john lord it looks like probably on the on the starship with ian pace and glenn hughes it says deep purple when david coverdale stepped on stage on the california jam he freaked out so it's kind of a story about that and then i guess what the john lord was working on in the background kind of cool article there um what else we got here Oh my goodness, this one's this one's crazy. Um, I don't know if I can read it because it's cut out from thing with this. Oh <laughs> Ashton goodness. Lord, all good fun. You'd never have thought this was where they held their Royal Variety Show. The London Palladium on a Sunday night had gone crazy. Oh, so this might be for the live show. Um, just t- talking about the live show they did to support this album. Well, I don't know if even supported is the right way. Um. Here's a cool one that looks like it's, well, it's definitely written in German, but it shows John Lord and Tony Ashton both at their keyboards uh, at the show, which is kind of interesting. Uh, these are these are reviews of the Palladium show. This is, I can't read German, but this is like the shortest review I've ever seen. <laughs> it te- it's 10 words. <laughs> so I'd like to know what that says. Uh, Of course, I could type it into Google Translate because it's short enough that I could do that, but I'm not going to do it right now. Um, Here's a first of the big bands review. This one gives it three and a half stars. Tony Ashton, Ashton Gardner and Dyke and John Lord. Oh, wait a second. It's not in English. (laughs) Never mind. (laughs) That looks like it's (laughs) that looks like it's Dutch. German. Yeah. Is it Dutch or German? I think it's Dutch. Whatever it is, I can't read Danish. it. It's not. So. A, it's not English. These the uh, you know we've got our our genius uh, listeners and contributors like Jorg who can Jorg can speak English and German perfectly with absolutely no sign that he's not a native speaker and pre- presumably other languages. Who knows? But we're Americans, so we can only speak one language poorly. 
and that is English. And uh, a little Spanish. Well, un, un poquito. <laughs> un poquito. Um, here we go. An unknown source. No bueno. Tony Ashton and John Lord, we're going to make it. Wait, did I do this? I did this one already. So there you go. Those are all the reviews. <laughs> already did that one i did it i realized when i started doing it i was like wait i've already done this voice before um so there you go um uh tony ashton's got a great book uh, zermatitis a musician's guide to going downhill fast um i looked through it and man i read it i I got it for christmas a couple years ago and i read through it and i couldn't find anything about this album um and probably because what we're talking Mm. about is that it was recorded over like one session here and there over the course of many years he has like a big section about malice in wonderland and a few sections about other things but there's no one section about this and i guess that does make sense given that uh what i just Mm. said um so yeah so if you're interested in tony ashton's music i would definitely recommend checking out that book it's really cool um but other than that we are done with the first of the big bands and um as always, we'll be back at you next week with something else, which honestly, the two of us don't even know what it's going to be yet. So we will see. And uh, shrugging emoji, shrug, sh- shrug emoji. Exactly. All right. Well, we'll see you next week, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to yet another episode of the Deep Purple podcast. We will see you in a week's time. See you then. Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also leave us a review in Apple Podcasts to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. So, John, what have you been up to? And I'm like, oh, I don't want to play this game, you know. <laughs> yeah, uh, nothing. Like, <laughs> never, never mind people I know. Are they just like, you know, hey, John, fucking kiss. Hey, hey, hey. It's like, yeah, okay, thanks. You know, it's like, that's what I am to you, right?